Chapter Two of the People of the Black Circle by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, A Barbarian from the Hills. Chandershan, Governor of Peshkhauri, laid down his golden pen and carefully scanned that which he had written on parchment that bore his official seal. He had ruled Peshkhauri so long only because he weighed his every word, spoken or written. Danger breeds caution, and only a wary man lives long in that wild country where the hot Vinyan plains meet the crags of the Himalayans. An hour's ride westward or northward, and one crossed the border and was among the hills where people lived by the law of the knife. The governor was alone in his chamber, seated at his ornately carved table of inlaid ebony. Through the wide window, open for the coolness, he could see a square of the blue Himalayan night dotted with great white stars. An adjacent parapet was a shadowy line, and further crenelles in embrasures were barely hinted at in the dim starlight. The governor's fortress was strong and situated outside the walls of the city it guarded. The breeze that stirred the tapestries on the wall brought faint noises from the streets of Peshkhauri, occasional snatches of wailing song or the thrum of a cithern. The governor read what he had written, slowly with his opened hand shading his eyes from the bronze butter-lamp, his lips moving. Absently as he read, he heard the drum of horses' hoofs outside the barbican, the sharp staccato of the guard's challenge. He did not heed, intent upon his letter. It was addressed to the Wazam of Venya at the royal court of Ayadhya, and it stated, after the customary salutations, Let it be known to your Excellency that I have faithfully carried out your Excellency's instructions. The seven tribesmen are well guarded in their prison, and I have repeatedly sent word into the hills that their chief come in person to bargain for their release. But he has made no move except to send word that unless they are freed he will burn Peskhauri and cover his saddle with my hide, begging your excellency's indulgence. This he is quite capable of attempting, and I have tripled the number of the lance-guards." The man is not a native of Gulistan. I cannot with certainty predict his next move, but since it is the wish of the Devi, he was out of his ivory chair and on his feet facing the arched door all in one instant. He snatched at the curved sword lying in its ornate scabbard on the table, and then checked the movement. It was a woman who had entered unannounced a woman whose gossamer robes did not conceal the rich garments beneath them, any more than they concealed the suppleness and beauty of her tall, slender figure. A filmy veil fell below her breasts, supported by a flowing headdress bound about with a triple gold braid and adorned with a golden crescent. Her dark eyes regarded the astonished governor over the veil, and then, with an imperious gesture of her white hand, she uncovered her face. Devi! The governor dropped to his knees before her, surprise and confusion somewhat spoiling the stateliness of his obeisance. With a gesture she motioned him to rise, 
and he hastened to lead her to the ivory chair, all the while bowing level with his girdle. But his first words were of reproof. "'Your Majesty, this was most unwise. The border is unsettled. Raids from the hills are incessant. You came with a large attendance?' "'An ample retinue followed me to Peskhauri,' she answered. I lodged my people there, and came on to the fort with my maid, Jitara. Chandrashan groaned in horror. "'Devi, you do not understand the peril. An hour's ride from this spot the hills swarm with barbarians who make a profession of murder and rapine. Women have been stolen and men stabbed between the fort and the city. Peskhauri is not like your southern provinces.' "'But I am here and unharmed,' she interrupted with a trace of impatience. I showed my signet ring to the guard of the gate, and to the one outside your door, and they admitted me unannounced, not knowing me but supposing me to be a secret courier from Ayaya. Let us not now waste time. You have received no word from the chief of the barbarians? None save threats and curses, Devi. He is wary and suspicious. He deems it a trap, and perhaps he is not to be blamed. The Kshatriyas have not always kept their promises to the hill people. He must be brought to terms, broke in Yasmina, the knuckles of her clenched hand showing white. I do not understand, the governor shook his head. When I chanced to capture the seven hillmen, I reported their capture to the Wazam, as is the custom, and then, before I could hang them, there came an order to hold them and communicate with their chief. This I did, but the man holds aloof, as I have said. These men are of the tribe of Avgulis, but he is a foreigner from the west, and is called Conan. I have threatened to hang them tomorrow at dawn, if he does not come. "'Good!' exclaimed the Devi. "'You have done well, and I will tell you why I have given these orders.' My brother—she faltered, choking, and the governor bowed his head, with the customary gesture of respect for a departed sovereign. "'The king of Vinya was destroyed by magic,' she said at last. "'I have devoted my life to the destruction of his murderers. As he died, he gave me a clue, and I have followed it. I have read the book of Skelos, and talked with nameless hermits in the caves below July. I learned how and by whom he was destroyed. His enemies were the black seers of Mount Yimsha. "'Asura!' whispered Chandrashan, paling. Her eyes knifed him through. "'Do you fear them?' "'Who does not, your majesty?' he replied. They are black devils, haunting the uninhabited hills beyond the Zaibar. But the sages say that they seldom interfere in the lives of mortal men. Why they slew my brother, I do not know, she answered. But I have sworn on the altar of Asura to destroy them, and I need the aid of a man beyond the border. A Kshatriya army unaided would never reach Yimsha. Aye, muttered Chandrashan, you speak the truth there. It would be fight every step of the way, with Harry Hill men hurling down boulders from every height, and rushing us with their long knives in every valley. 
The Turanians fought their way through the Himalayans once, but how many returned to Kurusun? Few of those who escaped the swords of the Kshatriyas after the king, your brother, defeated their host on the Jehomda River, ever saw the Secunderam again. And so I must control men across the border, she said, men who know the way to Mount Yimsha. But the tribes fear the black seers and shun the unholy mountain broke in the governor. "'Does the chief, Conan, fear them?' she asked. "'Well, as to that,' muttered the governor, "'I doubt if there is anything that devil fears. "'So I have been told. "'Therefore he is the man I must deal with. "'He wishes the release of his seven men. "'Very well. "'Their ransom shall be the heads of the black seers.' Her voice thrummed with hate as she uttered the last words, and her hands clenched at her sides. She looked an image of incarnate passion as she stood there, with her head thrown high and her bosom heaving. Again the governor knelt, for part of his wisdom was the knowledge that a woman in such an emotional tempest is as perilous as a blind cobra to any about her. "'It shall be as you wish, Your Majesty.' Then, as she presented a calmer aspect, he rose and ventured to drop a word of warning. I cannot predict what the chief Conan's action will be. The tribesmen are always turbulent, and I have reason to believe that emissaries from the Turanians are stirring them up to raid our borders. As your majesty knows, the Turanians have established themselves in Secunderum and other northern cities, though the hill tribes remain unconquered. King Yestergird has long looked southward with greedy lust, and perhaps is seeking to gain by treachery what he could not win by force of arms. I have thought that Conan might well be one of his spies. We shall see, she answered. If he loves his followers, he will be at the gates at dawn to parley. I shall spend the night in the fortress. I came in disguise to Peskhauri and lodged my retinue at an inn instead of the palace. Besides my people, only yourself knows of my presence here. "'I shall escort you to your quarters, Your Majesty,' said the governor, and as they emerged from the doorway he beckoned the warrior on guard there, and the man fell in behind them, spear held at salute. The maid waited, veiled like her mistress, outside the door, and the group traversed a wide, winding corridor, lighted by smoky torches, and reached the quarters reserved for visiting notables, generals and viceroys mostly. None of the royal family had ever honored the fortress before. Chandrashan had a perturbed feeling that the suite was not suitable to such an exalted personage as the Devi, and though she sought to make him feel at ease in her presence, he was glad when she dismissed him and he bowed himself out. All the menials of the fort had been summoned to serve his royal guest, though he did not divulge her identity, and he stationed a squad of spearmen before her doors, among them the warrior who had guarded his own chamber. In his preoccupation he forgot to replace the man. The governor had not been long gone from her when Yasmina suddenly remembered something else which she had wished to discuss with him but had forgotten until that moment. 
It concerned the past actions of one Karim Shah, a nobleman from Iranistan, who had dwelt for a while in Peshkhauri before coming on to the court at Ayodhya. A vague suspicion concerning the man had been stirred by a glimpse of him in Peshkhauri that night. She wondered if he had followed her from Ayodhya. Being a truly remarkable Devi, she did not summon the governor to her again, but hurried out into the corridor alone, and hastened toward his chamber. Chandrashan, entering his chamber, closed the door and went to his table. There he took the letter he had been writing and tore it to bits. Scarcely had he finished when he heard something drop softly onto the parapet adjacent to the window. He looked up to see a figure loom briefly against the stars, and then a man dropped lightly into the room. The light glinted on a long sheen of steel in his hand. "'Shh!' he warned. "'Don't make a noise, or I'll send the devil a henchman.' The governor checked his motion toward the sword on the table. He was within reach of the yard-long Zybar knife that glittered in the intruder's fist, and he knew the desperate quickness of a hillman. The invader was a tall man, at once strong and supple. He was dressed like a hillman, but his dark features and blazing blue eyes did not match his garb. Chandrashan had never seen a man like him. He was not an Easterner, but some barbarian from the West, but his aspect was as untamed and formidable as any of the hairy tribesmen who haunt the hills of Gulistan. "'You come like a thief in the night,' commented the governor, recovering some of his composure, although he remembered that there was no guard within call. Still the hillman could not know that. "'I climbed a bastion,' snarled the intruder. "'A guard thrust his head over the battlement in time for me to wrap it with my knife-hilt.' "'You are Conan? Who else? You sent word into the hills that you wished for me to come and parley with you. Well, by Crom, I've come. Keep away from that table, or I'll gut you.' "'I merely wish to seek myself,' answered the governor carefully sinking into the ivory chair, which he wheeled away from the table. Conan moved restlessly before him, glancing suspiciously at the door, thumbing the razor edge of his three-foot knife. He did not walk like an Afghuli, and was bluntly direct where the east is subtle. "'You have seven of my men,' he said abruptly. "'You refused the ransom I offered. What the devil do you want?' "'Let us discuss terms,' answered Chandrashan cautiously. "'Terms?' There was a timbre of dangerous anger in his voice. "'What do you mean? Haven't I offered you gold?' Chandrashan laughed. "'Gold? There is more gold in Peshkari than you ever saw.' "'You're a liar,' retorted Conan. "'I've seen the souk of the goldsmith in Kurasun.' "'Well, more than an Afghuli ever saw,' amended Chandrashan. "'And it is but a drop of all the treasure of Vinya. "'Why should we desire gold? "'It would be more to our advantage to hang these seven thieves.' "'Conan ripped out a sulphurous oath, and the long blade quivered in his grip. 
as the muscles rose in ridges on his brown arm. I'll split your head like a ripe melon. A wild blue flame flickered in the hillman's eyes, but Chandrashan shrugged his shoulders, though keeping an eye on the keen steel. You can kill me easily, and probably escape over the wall afterward, but that would not save the seven tribesmen. My men would surely hang them, and these men are headmen among the Afghulis. I know it, snarled Conan. The tribe is baying like wolves at my heels because I have not procured their release. Tell me in plain words what you want, because, by Crom, if there's no other way, I'll raise a horde and lead it to the very gates of Peshkhauri. Looking at the man, as he stood squarely, knife in fist and eyes glaring, Chandrashan did not doubt that he was capable of it. The governor did not believe any hill horde could take Peshkhauri, but he did not wish a devastated countryside. There is a mission you must perform, he said, choosing his words with as much care as if they had been razors. There— Conan had sprung back, willing to face the door at the same instant, lips a snarl. His barbarian ears had caught the quick tread of soft slippers outside the door. The next instant the door was thrown open, and a slim, silk-robed form entered hastily, pulling the door shut, then stopping short at sight of the hillman. Chandrashan sprang up, his heart jumping into his mouth. "'Devi!' he cried involuntarily, losing his head momentarily in his fright. "'Devi!' It was like an explosive echo from the hillman's lips. Chandashan saw recognition and intent flame up in the fierce blue eyes. The governor shouted desperately and caught at his sword, but the hillman moved with the devastating speed of a hurricane. He sprang, knocked the governor sprawling with a savage blow of his knife-hilt, swept up the astounded Devi in one brawny arm, and leaped for the window. Chandrashan, struggling frantically to his feet, saw the man poise an instant on the sill in a flutter of silken skirts and white limbs that was his royal captive, and heard his fierce, exultant snarl. "'Now dare to hang my men!' And then Conan leaped to the parapet and was gone. A wild scream floated back to the governor's ears. "'Guard! Guard!' screamed the governor, struggling up and running drunkenly to the door. He tore it open and reeled into the hall. His shouts re-echoed along the corridors, and warriors came running, gaping to see the governor holding his broken head from which the blood streamed. "'Turn out the lancers!' he roared. "'There has been an abduction!' Even in his frenzy he had enough sense left to withhold the full truth. He stopped short as he heard a sudden drum of hoofs outside, a frantic scream and a wild yell of barbaric exultation. Followed by the bewildered guardsmen, the governor raced for the stair. In the courtyard of the fort a force of lancers stood by saddle-steeds, ready to ride at an instant's notice. Chandrashan let his squadron flying after the fugitive, though his head swam so he had to hold with both hands to the saddle. 
He did not divulge the identity of the victim, but said merely that the noblewoman who had borne the royal signet ring had been carried away by the chief of the Afghulis. The abductor was out of sight and hearing, but they knew the path he would strike, the road that runs straight to the mouth of the Zybar. There was no moon. Peasant huts rose dimly in the starlight. Behind them fell away the grim bastion of the fort, and the towers of Peshkauri. Ahead of them loomed the black walls of the Himalayans. End of chapter 2